bonjour, bonjour, c'est l'heure du podcast. Good evening and welcome uh, to another episode of this. I want to start today off with uh, a couple of apologies. Um, the first apology, uh, I guess, has got to be to for my um, scathing condemnation of uh, pop music or the, the, the charts. Um, there's been some new information that has been brought uh, to the to the forefront. Um, I've been forced to actually listen to the charts for the first time in uh, about five years, and um, I got to say. There's a couple. <laughs> There's a, a young artist um, by the name of uh, Dua Lipa, and I think that she might just have a a future. Yeah, I was um, yeah, I was bopping away like a like a man possessed. Um, so perhaps I was a little quick to condemn. Um, the second is, in fact, uh, my voice. Um, it has come to my attention that it is extremely drony um, and monotonous. And I do fear it might have something to do with uh, the unspeakably bland uh, winter that we're sort of getting through at the moment. Um, if you look outside, it, it is 50 shades um, of grim out there right now like it is it's oh, I can't quite it's different it hits different to, to winter in the Pacific um still pretty miserable and winter is winter but there's something about this that it's it's got like an oppressive blanketing like inescapable uh grimness to it and um those the sort of the people living around here they seem a little bit better suited to it it's like they almost like squirrel away uh certain amount of serotonin um, for to sort of last them like a camel, you know, um, whereas I'm just walking around hunchbacked, uh, barely able to, to 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 get through. Like these are one of the, the, the kind of winter that you sort of look through and you're like, man, is this is this going to be one of the the, the big ones? Um, so that is, <clears throat> I'm trying to lift my frequency a little bit, lift my vibration. Um, but it's pretty hard going when you know it's you wake up and it's dark and uh, uh, it is dark by four thirty. So that might explain the general sort of. If I was to describe myself, once upon a time I was a vesper um, in, the, you know, in the peak of summer. I'm a, a peppy little vesper. Um, but at the moment I'm like a diesel tractor on a cold morning, <clears throat> like my, but I, I will try and perk, keep, keep it perky for, for your, for you really. Um, but, um, um, obviously the theme of this podcast is just kind of, um, uh, waffling on, it should be called like waffling on, um, or, uh, I prefer sort of chasing rabbits, uh, into whatever hole uh, they they sort of scurry into. Um, uh, yeah, uh, we will never 
never catch the rabbit. Um, we we will we will chase. We will pursue, and it is in the pursuit uh, that we will find meaning. Um, so um, today, I do want to do something a little bit differently. Instead of just sort of um, having like a uh, sort of. Uh, uh, directionless monologue. Uh, interesting, though. I hope I do actually want to focus on a figure. Um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I have attained a degree um, in history uh, from the University of Canterbury um, in a past life, um, and I want to flex that that sort of that that clout um, today. Uh, uh, by focusing on a, a figure in France um, who has, I guess, who to this day uh, leaves an uh, uh, incredible legacy. Interesting word, that incredible. Um, when you really think about it, it's what, like a negated version of credible, like to, to be incredible, um, and yet universally known to just be the you know, the word of, of high praise. Um, but, uh, there we go. <laughs> a little rabbit just sort of just scurried past, and, yeah, we'll let that one be. Um, but um, the um, uh, what, what I did want to talk today was also a figure in France, um, uh, probably one of France's most successful military figures, um, but globally known for their their sheer charisma or their their mana uh, that we we that, that that sort of goes beyond their somewhat diminutive stature to the point where we still sort of make movies about them today. I am, of course, talking about the one and only Joan of Arc. Uh, for all you you sexist uh, bastards out there that were. Thinking I was going, to, you, you probably thought I was going to say Napoleon, uh, which I say just take a damn good look at yourself um, and uh, and sort of you know call me in the morning. Um, you pricks, uh, no, um, I am of course talking about Joan of Arc. Um, I think when it comes to if you want to measure charisma or you want to measure queers uh, or indeed you want to measure just straight up success. One uh, absolutely punished the British all the way back up the Loire region um, until ultimately they won the the war, the 100 Years' War in this case, against the British. And the other one we all remember just fell painfully short. Uh, that's, that's not a dig at his, at his height. Um, but I think we can all really agree that uh, Napoleon is basically just a short version of Hitler. I'm joking. I'm, I, I know a, a few very staunch Napoleonists. Um, no, I'm of course that is me completely joking. You can't really draw that comparison. But in terms of comparing the two French figures, uh, Joan um, and Napoleon, very difficult to compare them. And I'm actually being facetious. Facetious. Um... The reason it's so difficult, I guess, is different times. Obviously, Napoleon came straight after the revolution. Um, Obviously, revolutions can sometimes be the perfect uh, sort of um, the perfect launching pad for a highly charismatic expansionist leader. Um, The 
opposite as a, can be said of, of Joan that, that was a very much uh, this was you know 350 years before uh, the, the French Revolution and it was very much a, a, a defensive stance they were being invaded by the British um, and they were in fact yeah they were getting pretty pretty pumped um, by the um, by, by one of the most highly provisioned highly organized military forces. Uh, in in Europe at the time, um, so it's like kind of like comparing Roquefort and Comte, you know. We do that's different. It's a different fromage, <coughs> completely different fromage. So it, 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 there's no point in comparing the two. But today we are going to look at Joan. Pardon me. One of the reasons why I did. Pardon me. I, I have just eaten quite a lot of Gruyere, um, which was a very extremely foolish of me. Um, I don't know why I, what I was thinking, but, you know, it's, um, yeah, so bear with me. Um, the reason I do want to dive into this particular individual throughout history is because I feel like her story at times is not uh, done justice and uh, somehow, somehow loses a lot of the punch of what is truly an epic story about, you'd have to say, one of the most uh, courageous figures in, in history um, and yeah something but with with the story like especially the way that it got told to me as a child um, I was uh, in primary school and our teacher introduced us to Joan of Arc and it was something along the lines of she led the French army but then she got burnt as a witch and that was kind of it and and, and then maybe a little caveat was like oh and she was actually crazy uh and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, cool. And then, yeah, yeah, obviously had a few questions um, after that. But uh, why I believe um, it gets, uh, I guess, the stories at times kind of loses its its weight is because we don't really understand the the setting. Um, often the story will will get bogged down with just every date of, of every um, thing and every minute little factor and detail um, sometimes we, we just we drown in, in all the kind of pointless stuff and we miss the overall meaning um, I while studying history um, at Canterbury University obviously you know pretty tight with the archbishop um, himself no actually I wasn't at all um, uh, you do realise pretty quickly that there is a, uh, a the gatekeepers of, of history are usually a bunch of uh, fairly fustian, um, quite dry boned individuals, hyper conservative, um, and usually yeah, pretty uh, pretty dull. Um, there's obviously exceptions. There are some. I had some phenomenal. Um, tutors and lecturers like some truly great but they were I sad to say they were quite rare typically historians would hold these parties of which occasionally I got the invite to I turned up to one um, and they'd just sort of swirl um, quite plummy glasses of, of Merlot and and just kind of form these these sort of intellectual circle jerks where they will kind of perform these like reach rounds upon one another and um, and sort of whisper uh, dates and 
and facts uh, into each other's ears. Not really my my scene. Um, and so today I will try and kind of give this story a little bit of a shot in the arm and I will try not to get too bogged down on, on, on dates and um, and the sort of um, the, bu- the bureaucracy and the admin and try and sort of see the overall story because it is a truly, a truly impressive life that she lived. Um, but as I, I was alluded to, I think one of the things that we overlook um, and that gets lost is the context and the setting. Picture, I've just alluded to how grim the Northern European winter is today. Uh, even with the, the trappings of modernity, with uh, insulated homes, with streetlights, with, with high-speed internet connections, with you know, 50-inch flat-screen TVs that allow you to stream uh, every episode of uh, The Real Housewives of Kentucky and indeed to uh, keep up with uh, every uh, Kardashian. Um, even today, with our, uh, our juice mixes uh, and our, um, our, our every sort of technological uh, uh, sort of comfort and luxury, uh, with the raclette, with the tarty flat, and with the flamin kush, uh, it is so bleak to the point where right now I you just get manageably depressed basically. So if we were to cast our mind back to the year fourteen twelve, we probably can't quite uh, truly empathise with the people of this time. Uh, it was in the middle of what was known as the Mini Ice Age, which was a, a period where a lot of Greater Europe cooled, uh, which um, caused mass crop failure, often uh, went back to back. Um, you only have to sort of have a crack at, at your own little veggie patch to realise just how difficult it is to get your lettuce from uh, seed or even seedling to plate. Uh, because everything is out to to, to get it. Um, even today, with with every insecticide and, and pesticide and and fungicide and herbicide and and all your snail pellets and and everything like the aphids will still will still get there. And it, it is a minor victory to 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 get that one bowl of salad um, at the end of you know just months of 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 turmoil really not not turmoil it's it's actually quite enjoyable but it's a, it's a tiny victory to get that bowl of salad and of course if those aphids or the snails or or the the fungus or or the just the cold or the neglect or the drought or the birds or the whatever actually gets your lettuce you, today you can just you can just pop on down to to the supermarket and get one for 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 a couple of dollars or or for if you're in um, New Zealand at the moment, uh, you can get sort of yeah extorted um, and pay what like eight, ten dollars or whatever. Um, but fair to say that in the year fourteen twelve, uh, which is when Joan was born um, as a, a poor peasant in a, a small village uh, called Domremy in, in France, uh, if your uh, crops failed, uh, your family very well may starve uh, and die. Horribly. Um, that is, of course, if uh, they don't catch uh, diphtheria or smallpox or, in fact, the common cold, which would kill you in the year uh, 1412. They were lucky, one of the lucky ones who were 
50 years past the Black Death. Um, the bubonic plague sort of swept through France in the mid-13th century, so we um mid 1300 sorry um so they did miss uh that the lucky the lucky bastards but basically it all came down to uh if you said your prayers and you you did not live a life in sin then your your crops would would be bountiful but if if you did have crop failure um or you did in fact get sick it was because you did not say a prayer and you have been living um sinfully it's little wonder, given just so how, uh, given how much meaningless suffering and misery, uh, and and pain, just your typical average everyday human existence held, that people turned to the church uh, for answers. Um, the church held all the power. Basically, they were the arbiters of truth. Um, they were. Uh, they were everything on top of the horrors that life uh, held in France and this time was actually a few years later after this in the uh, 1426 the British were coming the British had come through France winning battle after battle they were occupying much of the north of France. They'd moved their way all through Paris, and they were charging through uh, to, the, the, to, to the midlands of, of France. Uh, they had two of the most powerful factions within France, the Burgundians and the Armagnacs, had pledged fealty to the British, uh, and they were on an absolute heater, just tearing through the French countryside um, coming uh, south. In these incredibly dark times, it was the voice of a teenager that emerged from within. Joan of Arc was a poor peasant in a small village where her entire universe around her was reinforcing the idea that she was basically powerless, that she had no status and that her job in life was basically to say your prayers and to sew buttons. Uh, this was a time, obviously, of abhorrent uh, treatment of women where they were basically um, subjugated. Uh, it was illegal for women to receive education, uh, illegal to partake, participate in the military, uh, illegal, in fact, to wear trousers. Uh, so truly absurd uh, times. Um, I would say that it is, was uh, illegal to vote, but this was very much a time of uh, primogenitor, where the eldest son of the the, heir, the was the heir of the the monarch. Um, and yeah, there was obviously no no voting. This would come way later. We we often forget that this whole democracy where people have. The vote and a, and a lot more freedom um, is, is, is actually an incredibly new thing. Um, most of the time we've just been under the thumb of uh, a king or a dictator or a queen. Um, it's, it's very new, this whole idea of having, you know, the agony of choice or being, like, you know, tortured by whether to go to, like, Whistler um, for a gap year after high school and stuff, like, all these problems that we have, all these issues, like, yeah, they, these are all new um 
new problems um, for us. But it, think about what you were doing when you were 16 years old. This is the age uh, that Joan was when she went on a mission, um, first of all wanting to speak to Charles, Big Big C, Charles VII, um, and ultimately uh, her ambition to lead uh, France, or actually re- reform France. At the moment, France is completely fractured. Some of the most powerful families, most powerful factions had jumped to the other side. They saw the, which way the wind was blowing. Uh, they saw that France was, in fact, about to become British, and so they they sort of got, while the, while the getting was good, sort of jumped ship. Excuse me, um, and uh, which is you know a crazy thought, you know, uh, just Jane, <coughs> Jane, Joan, um, she did not foresee a future where, you know, future generations um, in France were, you know, eating uh, sausage rolls and <coughs> and chips. She 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 knew it was going to be uh, you know saucisson and uh, and andouille. Um, <coughs> so I can confirm that when I was Joan's age. When I was 16, um, I was up to uh, fuck all, basically. Uh, I had no real ambitions beyond, I mean, like, yeah, eating sausage rolls and chips. Um, But this uh, teenager took it upon herself to stand up to every single person surrounding her who was telling her that, uh, you know, just... Just having an opinion on something was was dangerous. Uh, just having any sort of Id- ambition or idea to, to leave your what the the world around you was saying is your your lot, your position. You know, you only have to really think about uh, how how much courage um, it takes for someone to to leave their sort of small town in the arse end of nowhere today um, and to sort of carve out their own path and, and sort of answer their own call and sort of march to their own, their own tune. Even today it takes some serious backbone to stand up, um, you know, and, and, and separate yourself from the pack. Um, and this was during a time when, when it actually... It, uh, if you said the wrong thing... It wasn't like it's not like today where you know you worst case scenario you might feel a you know slight burning on the cheeks because someone you know wrote a, a, a harsh comment or or said something embarrassing to you. You know this was a time where there were very real consequences um, for for sort of saying the wrong thing. Very of of the you know the consequences of the uh, the burning um, variety. What makes this particular story perhaps even more fascinating uh, is that all the while um, every uh, major action um, and and uh, Joan's ambition was all curated uh, by seeking counsel with the voices in her head. So she will uh, later go on to tell the world that she was always compelled by voices. Um, they manifested in the form of angels. So it was um, with Archangel Catherine, uh, Margaret, and Michael. Um, but uh, voices nonetheless. She began hearing these voices at the age of 13, which is when very on uh, early onset uh, schizophrenia uh, often manifests. 
um, and it got steadily, they got steadily more and more profound and, and uh, more and more visceral um, as uh, she got older. Nowadays, we obviously have a, a care-based uh, system when it comes to people who are suffering from um, any mental illness or um, obviously schizophrenia. Um, but pretty fair to say, back in Jones' day, uh, they did not uh, have a care-based system. They had a very much a burning-based uh, system. You could you could say a fear-based system. Obviously, um, tie this in with a time of uh, yeah, pretty abhorrent treatment of women, um, and it is a small miracle that a 16-year-old is able to get the attention of the king's court. Uh, she obviously had to be fairly uh, persistent and ambitious, um, but basically um, some of Charles's closest advisors after a lot of kind of, um, you know, after she was she was able to sort of get the air and, and sort of arouse the the um, imagination and curiosity of a few of the, the court, they uh, sort of spoke to the, the king, who was obviously going through, obviously had a fair bit on his plate with the very real chance that they were about to lose uh, their country to, to the British. And they obviously said to to him like, "Look, Charlie, like, we're getting we're getting absolutely punished here. Like, what's the harm in uh, just in hearing her out? You know, she's she's got everyone pretty she's got everyone pretty pumped up. You know, um, she's extremely patriotic, and you know, what's the harm? And uh, and sort of getting getting sort of a bit of a you know, getting a bit of hype going." Um, it's at this point where I could absolutely open the floodgates and just drown you in a deluge of, of facts, figures, dates. Um, so I'll, I'll try and keep this brief. Um, basically, so uh, Charles VII, being the shrewd uh, monarch um, that he is, had heard that this uh, young lady of providence wanted to meet with him, and so... He arranged for twenty lookalikes uh, to meet in his in his chambers. Uh, he adorned them all in royal garb, and he himself hid among them, um, wanting to sort of put this um, this Jones sort of um, uh, preternatural or um, or sort of divine uh, wisdom to the test. That was kind of one of her sort of selling points was that she had a particularly close relationship with God, and that she was. Obviously, extremely religious. Um, she, uh, it is noted that um, Joan entered into the chambers, the royal chambers, and uh, he, she just basically made a beeline uh, to Charles the Seventh and uh, bowed to her, her king. Uh, it's worth noting that uh, when we go back this far, um, it can become, you know, uh, we, we are wading um, into very murky waters. I hope you bought your, your waders and your your goggles because it does become a bit of a, a brackish uh, marsh. Um, you only have to consider uh, just how difficult it is for us to agree on what happened yesterday. Uh, to understand 
that when we go back 600 years, uh, it gets it gets really murky. Um, you know, even today, uh, you have multimedia conglomerates that can control the narrative to a certain extent. Um, but let's just say back in these days, it very much was uh, his story, uh, and uh, it often relied on sort of eyewitness accounts which were then sort of written down and this was a time where it was extremely dangerous to write anything that was in conflict or contrast to uh, the current um, interests of of power (laughs) Um, and so yeah it was very much a just burn anyone who says anything bad um, and of course burn any documents that are um, that are unfavourable to the, the interests of, of, of those who are in power. Um, and and so I, I'm the first to admit that uh, it can get a bit it can get a bit murky. Um, but uh, basically after this uh, they have a, a conversation and this sixteen year old uh, teenager teenage peasant from a small village gets rushed to the front lines of the war effort to face the British. She, Joan gets introduced to the war at probably the most pivotal moment in the 100 Years' War. Um, it is while uh, the city of Orléans is being is, is under siege by the British. Uh, basically, if the British were able to take uh, Orléans, it means that they would be able to control the Loire River, uh, which would allow a supply chain to be brought from the shores of England um, to uh, through, throughout France, and it would give them an, a huge upper hand in being able to hold uh, large sort of swathes of, of France. So basically, it's one of the most pivotal. Think of it like the Suez Canal in uh, World War Two. You know, um, Hitler takes the Suez Canal. He basically controls the oil supply, um, and you're fucked. Um, and yeah, so extremely crucial. The uh, John manages to lift the siege of Orléans uh, in a matter of days and not just that, she rouses the entire French military which are a bunch of battle-hardened medieval soldiers, just think um, dog in uh, or, or this, sorry, sorry, dog the hound in uh, Game of Thrones think just massive armies of the hound, maybe not always you know, he was, he was, he was a big it was a big dog, but um, maybe slightly shorter versions of the Hound. Really battle-hardened um, uh, medieval soldiers. So just being sent to the front lines by word of the king does not guarantee uh, that she's going to be respected or, or even accepted um, by, by the military. Um, but not only was she able to take part which is kind of crazy, you know, that once you... Uh, it's, it's, it's all very well sort of being a charlatan who who sort of, uh, you know, sells themselves as, a, as something of a savant, um, but to arrive on the uh, the front lines uh, when the, the swords are, are clanging and, and grown men are getting disemboweled in the mud um, and screaming for their mothers, uh, for you to hold true uh, then, that obviously shows a fair bit of backbone, not only was she accepted into the military, she was placed in command, which is 
pretty hard to wrap your head around, really. Um, not, not, not only was she placed into a position of command, she turned the entire tides of the war from one where the French were on the back foot playing a defensive role, just getting pushed back through the Loire by the British. She turned the, the, the momentum into one of fiery attack, and she, more importantly... She reinvigorated uh, the belief within the army that they can actually do this, and everything turned from defence, defence into fiery attack, and it just turned the, the war on its head, basically. Where this gets extremely juicy is that all the while she will later confess uh, that she every major decision that she made, uh, every yeah, uh, every move was uh, dictated by the voices in her head. The soldiers, uh, I guess, placed her in a position of command and followed her because she happened to have, uh, for someone who had no formal education and certainly no military upbringing or military background, she had an almost preternatural intuition for tactics uh, she made extremely decisive manoeuvres based on very little information um, which uh, there's a there's a German word uh, finger spritzen gruffel which you will think I'm absolutely pulling your leg after all that um, dump burst uh, business. Obviously, you know, shout out to dump burst. Um, uh, you'll think I'm pulling your leg, but uh, that is in fact uh, uh, exactly what what she had, which is um, yeah, finger spitzen gruffel. I recommend uh, googling that. It's basically like a a sixth sense intuition to be able to. Summarize uh, something based on more like a feel. We call it like fingertip feel. Um, but she was able to have, yeah, with with almost sort of airy uh, consistency, and and um, ultimately uh, leading to just success after success after success in battle, where she just pushed the British um, army back back north and back up the Loire and. Ultimately, uh, her, her finest hour was the Battle of Pate. Um, very unfortunate name, um, the Battle of Pate. Obviously, the French are, you know, they're, they're usually they're subject to a fair bit of uh, sort of mockery and, and joking about like cheese and and baguettes. But um, yeah, that was the name of of, of the battle. After uh, just smearing the British across the the Tartine, um, that is, was the Battle of Pate. Joan, uh, I guess, rumours um, of Joan spread throughout uh, all of France, spread throughout uh, Britain, uh, and spread throughout a lot of Europe. Um, she had uh, an almost mythical. Um, Reputation uh, to the point where she was known as like this sort of warrior uh, savant, um, and there became, I guess, sort of rumours. Uh, you know, it's pretty hot, hot gossip around the times that uh, she was something of a mythical uh, warrior 
sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're, you're thinking what I'm thinking. And, um, yeah, she was Xena, um, basically. Um, she became public enemy number one for the British, um, and she, came, she became priority number one to the point where the Burgundians, those absolute pricks, um, to this day when I... When someone hands me a glass of Burgundy, I just quite casually just splash it back in their face um, and, and insist on getting something from Chinon. Um, no, um, the Burgundians captured her and they sold her to the British for a king's ransom. Um, and this is where uh, it gets... Just ridiculous, really. Uh, so basically, uh, she was tried after being caught. A lot of the more hot-headed, hot-headed British people wanted to have her just straight up killed, uh, but they they knew the power of propaganda even in this day, and they knew that if that happened, she would just be made a martyr, and um, her. Her life would be become, I guess, the sort of idolised, um, that she would be sort of venerated in death. Um, and so that instead they decided to go by the book, the good book, that is, uh, the, the Bible. Um, they went through the, the Catholic Church and they tried her on French soil uh, using a, uh, a French bishop who was under, obviously... Who, who answered to the, the British, um, a bishop, Pierre Couchon. Um, Couchon uh, actually means pig in, in French. There's a, there's a saying, uh, le couchon est tout est bon, uh, which of course means um, that uh, the pig is good, and w- which it, it, uh, you, you, know, you've, you, can't, you cannot argue with that. Um, so she gets she doesn't get tried for crimes against the state. Um, she gets cri- uh, tried uh, for heresy, and of course the Catholic Church at this time were beyond powerful. You know they were like I mentioned they were the arbiters of truth. Um, they were uh, the, the the people who had uh, a connection uh, with with God. Um, and uh, they were everything. And this was obviously a time pre-science. This was a time of, of, of absolute mystery and, and of misery. And so the Catholic Church were everything. Um, and, and so, uh, yeah, they, they, they tried her as a, a, a heretic. Over the subsequent months, uh, Joan was subject to a trial where the clergy which were made of a bunch of, I mean, psychopathic uh, perverts, basically, uh, all adorned in uh, rouge uh, garb, rouge uh, robes, robe rouge. Uh, They, for for months, they basically, they questioned her and interrogated her, basically with the intention of trying to entrap her and get her to say the wrong thing. Um, she was obviously a, an uneducated um, peasant, 
and they were the most educated people in the world at the time, um, the, the the clergy, um, and uh, apparently it took a lot longer than first thought because uh, Joan would have these extremely witty retorts to these incredibly like waffly, long form questions that kind of didn't really make sense. And, uh, yeah, Joan, they did not anticipate that Joan would uh, kind of possess the intellect and wit that she did. And so it took a lot longer than first thought. Um, and so they had to resort to uh, some, yeah, I guess, far more kind of brutish uh, techniques, including keeping her in a, a, a dungeon and, and sort of having her living in, in fear for quite some time before eventually she did say the wrong thing. Um, she mentioned that in one of her visions, these extremely visceral uh, hallucinations where she received uh, external information, she admitted that one of the people had a body, and the body is, of course, uh, the source of all sins, and that was enough proof. Um, Mr. Pierre Couchon, Bishop Pierre Couchon, uh, said that the voices that Joan had been uh, communing with were from the devil. He sentenced her to death by burning, um, and the sentence was was carried out. I want to discuss a certain idea that has sort of been... I guess swirling around the old the old brain recently, and that is that, given how highly successful Joan was, particularly when she was tested in battle, and often making decisions based on information that she had no right to know, and later attributed it all to the voices that were in her head, is it? at all possible that there are certain people throughout history and indeed certain people today who possess a predisposition to receive external information (coughs) from an external source. Um, Carl Jung, uh, I guess one of the trailblazers, in uh, psychology in the 20th century um, had a, a very different idea on schizophrenics. Uh, he, he said that he believed that they were communicating with God, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the big guy. Um, you know, can, we can just call it like an external source. And I am curious as to whether there are certain people, and in this case I don't think you could you could find an even like a better example than John, given just the the, 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 the success. <clears throat> she was ultra high functioning, um, she was loved by everyone that met her and the the voices certainly didn't, uh, they weren't these kind of cryptic uh, sort of bits of information that sort of led her, you know, led them down these horrific paths, they went from success to success in some of the most intense uh, conflicts and intense situations that you, you kind of can can find yourself in. So is that possible? 
I, I can I can almost feel uh, the more uh, sort of button down um, uh, of you uh, just rolling your eyes and thinking like this this guy has taken a, a header off off the deep end. But <clears throat> to to you, I would ask, what are you doing right now? You know, right now you are listening to voices. Uh, from an external source. Um, if you were to tell the clergy uh, in Jones Day in 1426 that you could listen to voices in your head from an external source, um, all you have to do is download a file from the internet, which is this vast interconnecting infrastructure that doesn't really exist um, and which just unfathomable amounts of information are stored in the cloud, which is kind of this invisible sort of <laughs> sort of uh, thing that sort of floats around, uh, which you can just extract little bits from. Uh, and if, if you have of course uh, Wi-Fi and if you have of course the Bluetooth you can tap into it and you can listen to it if you had said that <clears throat> in Jones Day you would have probably not have received any kind of trial uh, you would have just been dragged into the town square tied to a post and burnt because <clears throat> that is absolutely fucking mental um, that's just ridiculous so what I would put to you is what kind of things are we going to discover if we were to project ourselves the same distance forward? So let's say 600 years forward. Is it possible that we will go on to redefine these ideas? Um, the mind itself, <clears throat> psychology itself, is, is one of the great mysteries we, to this day, uh, we do not know where thoughts themselves come from. <clears throat> they they come from nothingness and to being, and no one knows <clears throat> where that, that, that they come from. Consciousness itself is is ultimately a mystery. Um, the there are no shortage of of, of miracles that the that the human brain holds today um, where, where psychology meets its boundary we almost overlap with the supernatural you know you only have to consider the sort of the power of, of positive thinking um, and the consequences of, of negative thinking you know if you if you, you're able to sort of hold down a, a positive frame of mind and and, and think of things in a, in a positive light like you you almost seem to attract and welcome positivity into your life. Um, and and on the contrary, uh, if you if you're you know you're you're being a, a bit of a negative prick and and you're you're sort of holding on this really negative outlook on life, well then you you seem to sort of uh, I guess uh, invite negativity in. Um, you know I think we've all had those days. I I I'm the worst. You know I'm the first to admit. You know especially at the moment like middle of winter still really struggling with the language um and uh so i'll get myself into these sort of negative stupors and that will be the day when just you'll stub your toe and 
someone will back their car into you or um, it just it just seems like whenever yeah whenever I, I'm just being a real negative guy like <clears throat> it just seems like I yeah it's almost like a, 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 a sort of there's an attraction there um, but um, but oh, yeah I mean obviously everything I, I say needs to be taken with a, a liberal uh, sprinkling of, of salt and, and indeed a good crack of uh, bois but it is a fascinating idea you know um, our thoughts on on mental illness and even calling it mental illness like you know some of the it's no sort of um, it's no secret that you know some of the the greatest musicians the greatest artists some of the best inventors of all time were sort of flirting with madness and all throughout history there are no shortage of other people similar to Joan who had these visions or, or had a feeling like a, a divine intervention where they received messages through through the voice I guess through voices or, or or what have you. So I feel like it is it's an area where I guess in the in, in the next uh, I guess you know few few uh, you know few years. <laughs> Uh, I, I hope we will illuminate certain blind spots that are, are there from, I mean, even from, from just, you know, our own, our own prejudices and our own, our own ideas um, around these things. Uh, and to all you people out there who are just thinking like, that's just absolute total bullshit, um, well, you're just members of the clergy. <laughs> um, nah, you know, you might be right. But it is. I, I do enjoy being sort of open to, to these these ideas. Um, perhaps um, I guess why I, I mean a factor and uh, sort of uh, limiting our, our understanding of, of some of these these mental illnesses. Um, uh, it could have perhaps something to do with uh, with our history. Um, for hundreds of years, uh, the Catholic Church prioritised finding people with this predisposition or, p- or people claiming to be communing with external sources uh, and swiftly burning them. Uh, could it be safe to say that this would somewhat uh, flatten the curb uh, for people who, who did possess this? Um, you know, most of the uh, the... The, the, the leaps forward in our evolution um, came from uh, mutations initially, and obviously, if there was a positive uh, mutation, it would uh, promote, you know, certain people and and uh, make them sort of uh, desirable, um, and would I guess yeah, centuries upon centuries of finding these individuals and burning them could that perhaps flatten the curb. Um, and then when you tie that in with today, uh, obviously uh, uh, we we medicate um, uh, schizophrenics um, at this uh, obviously in this day and age. Um, I, I I don't pretend to have the answers, but it is yeah an interesting little uh, lepon to uh, to chase. Um, I'm sad to say that for Joan, she most certainly. Uh, f- fell into this category. Uh, she was actually uh, burnt at the stake three times um, before her ashes were spread uh, in the Seine. 
A few years later, uh, she will uh, get a retrial um, by the same perverts in crimson uh, robes. Uh, and they will come to the conclusion that, in fact, yes, their voices were from God, uh, but hardly vindication. See, pretty heavy stuff uh, there, but I will, I will, uh, I'll lighten, lighten the mood um, a little bit with a joke. Um, it's actually a terrible joke that I told um, to my. I actually visited uh, Orléans. Uh, my uh, belle grand-mère uh, lives in Orléans, and so we drove there uh, with my with my muffin. Um, drove through the Loire, um, and it's it's really it's beautiful. It's where all the or the most of the chateaus and the, the huge castles are, are uh, built because it enjoys the the continental climate. It's this kind of this. Band in France that has like this beautiful um, summer climate, and um, and so we visited uh, my, my belle grand-mère, and uh, uh, one of uh, Clem's cousins also lives there, and, and she she was really nice, and she, she bought me um, some coffee from uh, the Café Jean d'Arc, which is a Joan of Arc cafe, and she bought me this this coffee, and uh, the next time I uh, saw her, she kind of said Nick. To him, the cafe, like you like the coffee, and, and I just like I was like, oh god, yeah, well, I've got the perfect little joke, just ready to just you know pop off, and um, and so I said, um, oh, oh, it was nice, but uh, it was a little bit burnt, and yeah, pretty very poorly received. I ended up um, explaining myself. Uh, obviously, uh, my French was was even worse than it is now, and so I ended up saying in French, uh, "Oh, I'm I'm joke. I'm 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 funny man. I'm a funny man." Um, and yeah, don't know what I was thinking, um, but yeah, I thought six hundred years later, maybe, but uh, no. People in that area are incredibly staunch um uh they 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 they, like she is to this day uh revered um perhaps because it really was the closest france has ever come to to falling really um so yeah terrible um miscalculation uh, on my part I just put it down to the language barrier I yeah obviously and just yeah blamed it on on that but as as a figure, um, there's no doubt about it. Um, Joan of Arc to this day is is uh, a, an incredibly powerful um, figure throughout history. Uh, she was one of the the foremost uh, crusaders of, of feminism, and a real I guess example of of the the power of the individual to to sort of. Uh, uh, revolt against their surroundings, and to if you have, I guess, the the belief um, to 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 go your own way and to to do some pretty incredible things with 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 your life. Um, uh, there is a, a quote that she was known um, to have said, and that and that was that all battles are first won or lost uh, in the mind, and I think that is. That is very true, especially today. We, we sort of, um, yeah, we we battle with uh, with our with ourselves. Um, we battle with uh, with 
within our mind. You know, we, we can make an absolute heaven out of hell and we can make a, a hell out of heaven. And at the end of the day, a lot of it, a lot of that battle is, is raged within our own minds. So I will say, be good to yourself. Um, uh, some of the, the best people that I have had the pleasure of knowing um, have certainly not been mentally what you would call normal. Um, and indeed, uh, some of the, the craziest people that I know are just ludicrously normal. Uh, just everything they do is extremely appropriate. Um, and so I, I will challenge you to, to, to try not to get bogged down with um, these ideas of, of, uh, of being mentally normal. But of course, I will also say that if you are having a, if you are battling uh, and, and and losing the, the the battle within your mind, we are living uh, today in a a care-based uh, world. You will not be tied to a stake and burnt. Um, so if you are having any kind of issues out there, uh, I would suggest taking advantage of the times that we live in today. Mm-hmm.